How many of you uh, would identify uh, yourselves as a fan of some sports team? How many of you would identify yourselves as a Cardinals fan? Just like that. Cubs fans. I'm just being divisive at this point. So it's, you know, there's no real point to this, but um, no. I I want you to think about being a sports fan uh, for for a minute that I think one of the more awkward moments for for a sports fan, for for any sports fan of, of any team, is when you visit a a team that you're competing against when you visit their stadium, right? And everybody's there in their team colors. They're wanting their team to win. They're wanting their team to be successful. And you come in with your soda and your hot dog and your popcorn, and you're wearing the opposing team's uh, jersey or the uh, opposing team's colors. And there's a question that emerges when you do that. If any of you have ever visited another, another stadium, you know what the question is. It's, what kind of fan am I going to be? Am I going to be obnoxious fan, right? Am I going to be an obnoxious fan? Am I going to be humble fan? Uh, am I going to be passive aggressive fan, where I'm talking to the person next to me very loudly about how the other team stinks, right? <laughs> but I'm actually not talking to the other people, you know? Am I, am I going to be angry fan? Uh, what kind of fan are you going to be when you visit the opposing team's stadium. And I think it raises kind of an interesting question that we're going to kind of weave our way through uh, that this parable is based on. Uh, uh, as, as Christians, as you think about being a Christian and you're thinking about taking steps forward with Jesus and you're thinking about increasing your faith, uh, what, one of the things you're going to determine very quickly is that not everybody around you shares your values. And not everybody around you feels the same way that you do about Jesus. And not everybody around you would call themselves a Christ follower. So a question emerges, what kind of fan are you going to be? Uh, What kind of follower are are you going to be? So tomorrow you're going to go to work. And not everybody at your work is going to share your values. They're, they're not all going to be Jesus' followers. How, how, what kind of fan are you going to be? Over the summer, you're going to have grill outs and you're going to have cookouts with neighbors and family and friends. And not everybody is going to share the same values that you do as, as a Christian. What kind of fan are you going to be? You're going to have friendships with people throughout your life. Uh, that people that are not Christians and they don't share your values and you're going to live and work and be next to each other. And, and how does that work? What kind of fan... What kind of follower of Jesus are you going to be? And you can see in the Christian world that different Christians answer this question in in different ways. As their faith is increasing and as they're following after Jesus, some people go, I'll put this up on the screen for you, some people go after the separatist view. Right? They understand that as Christians living in this world, there are going to be times when um, you're interacting with and around people that don't follow Jesus, but the separatist view says limit those times. Uh, they almost li- try, they try to live in a Christian bubble almost, and they try to be separate to the best of their uh, uh, ability. And honestly, the Christian world is honestly kind of bent this way to make this easy for you uh, and, and, and for me to live a separate life. We have separate music, separate books, separate summer camps, separate groups. Uh, the church would be happy to take as much of your time as you're willing to give, right? And so we, we, can, we can even end up spending all of our time with other Christians. So being separate is one view. Another view that some people adopt is they're seeing uh, kind of their values take shape as a Christian, and they're seeing that not everybody in the culture has the same values that they have. Uh, Another view is the angry view. Um, This is the person that sees how uh, people in their work life behave or people in their family behave, and they see how culture is trending, and it just kind of ticks them off. 
And the way that this used to have to be expressed is uh, when I was growing up, is you used to have to go to the uh, painstaking ability of making like a placard, right? And with some angry message on it and and go downtown and, and walk around, but you don't have to do that anymore. Now we have this thing called social media which is an amazing thing. But social media can be a place where if this whole kind of way that culture is going and the way your work is going, the people around you, if that makes you angry, you can go to social media and uh, angry posts. And it's certainly one way that some Christians choose to live. Uh, Another is what I would call the blend in view. That this is the person that has been so kind of influenced by our culture that they really don't seem uh, to, to be that different at all. Years and years ago, I remember a good friend of mine had what he described as a traumatizing experience, that our church at the time, it wasn't this one, but our church at the time was doing a big outreach event. And uh, this guy decided that he was gonna uh, invite a buddy of his from work. And these weren't, they weren't, they were work buddies. In other words, they ate lunch together at work. They spent time at work. But this guy, they didn't really spend any other time together other, other than that. And so this guy that I knew that went to my church, that I'm gonna invite this work friend uh, to, to this event. And he finally worked up the courage and he went to his buddy and said, would you like to come to this event? And his work buddy said, I had absolutely no idea you were a Christian. And uh, he said, I am too. And my buddy said, I had no idea you were a Christian, (laughs) right? They had ended up so blending in. And my my buddy said to me later, he said, I can kind of see where the confusion was because uh, any joke that's told in the workplace, I always laugh whenever anybody complained about their wife or their husband. I just kind of joined in and did that too. And I didn't really pray before meals or do any overtly Christian things because I didn't want to make anybody uncomfortable. So he said, I kind of have adapted this blend in view, and if you've been following Jesus just a month, or if you've been following Jesus for 20 years, this is a question we're going to have to grapple with, and Jesus tells a story about it, is, put it on the screen for you, what is the right way to live in this world? As a Christian, what is the right way to live in in this world? So Jesus tells a story, and he tells a story about a farmer who sows some seed into the field, and while he's asleep, an enemy comes in and plants a bunch of weed in the same field, and the question of Uh, The the question of the parable is what should be done about the situation? You now have wheat and weeds kind of growing up together. What exactly should we do uh, about this? And the answer to the problem is that just leave it and it will be sorted out at harvest time. And this is one of those parables that Jesus uh, explains to us later. There's a handful of parables that Jesus ends up explaining what they mean. This is one of them. Uh, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. (laughs) Like, I didn't want to cut off Jesus' words at all, and, I, and, I, and I, I would never do that, but the description or the answer to this parable is more disturbing than the parable itself, all right? So I'm just going to give you a heads up on that, and I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said, all right? So here's what he said. Then he left the crowds and went up to the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus, right? The field uh, is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is uh, the devil. Now, just kind of 
pause here just for a minute because Jesus is, ex- is explaining this story, but the Christian perspective on good and evil is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? I think it's important that we understand that. It's not like Christians are perfectly good and, and the world is perfectly evil, right? All have sinned, all screw up, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it says the harvest is the end of the age, the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes him, uh, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So at the end of the age, kind of the one big storyline is that when Jesus returns, evil and sin are eradicated, right? There's, there's no more evil or sin. They will throw them into the blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Aren't you so happy Jesus explained that parable, right? <laughs> right? Um, so let, let's just establish a couple things, right? So it seems to me anyway, and we're just going to kind of, this is a meandering sermon. I'm just going to tell you it's a meandering sermon, but it doesn't seem to me that Jesus is advocating the angry approach. That that Jesus makes it clear, at least to me, that he is someday going to return and he and his angels are going to sort everything out. Who is a person of faith? Who's not a person of faith? Who's good? Who's evil? Jesus is going to sort all of that out. That should be incredibly freeing to you uh, as a Christian. Because here's what that means. There is a judge in this story, there is a judge in this world, and it's not you. And it's not me, praise be to God for his indescribable gifts, right? You don't want me to be the judge of anything, I tell you that, right? There is a judge in this story, and that judge is not you, and that judge is not me. So as we're living in this world as Christians, our role as, as Christians is not to pronounce hell on anybody. Right? Our, our, our job is, is not to pass out judgment, uh, 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 eternal judgment especially. Those are Jesus' role. The Apostle Paul actually picks this up in 1 Corinthians 5.12. Paul says this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Right? Paul seems to understand there is going to be a judge, and even the Apostle Paul, who wrote a ton of your New Testament and planted tons of churches, the Apostle Paul said, and it's not me. Right, and it's not you, and it's, it's not Steve, it's, it's, not, it's Jesus. So Jesus doesn't seem to be advocating the be angry and pass judgment on everybody that you see. He also doesn't seem to be advocating the separation model that I described earlier either, where Christians just kind of separate and live these separate lives. He seems to be advocating this position where followers of Jesus and those who are not following Jesus live side by side as neighbors, coworkers, and family. This is the, the position Jesus seems to be advocating, is that wheat and weeds are going to grow up next to each other. We, we live by each other. We're neighbors. We're friends. We're family. We're coworkers. We live side by side. And I understand I have still failed to answer my own question. What exactly does this look like? Well, thankfully for us, I told you we're going to be meandering, but we'll get to a point, I promise. Um, Jesus tells uh, two more parables to help us. All right, here's parable number one. He then told them a parable, all right? So he's going to tell a parable to explain a parable, all right? Um, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it was the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, 
so that the birds come and perch on its branches. On, on its branches. So there is this tiny little seed called a mustard seed called the kingdom of God, and it starts so small, and, and it grows into this big, big kind of plant, and eventually it grows into a tree where the birds of the air find rest uh, on, on, its, on its limbs. And this is certainly describing the role of Jesus in this world. That when, when the gospel starts out, it starts out as a little baby, right? Christmas is like six months away, but just indulge me for a minute, right? It starts out as a little baby. The baby grows into a man. He leads a movement. He goes to the cross. He's resurrected. It becomes a tree. That the kingdom of God is this tree. And the amazing thing is that now, post-resurrection, you and I are now invited into this story. We're, we're invited into this movement as the church. And did you notice in the story that this kingdom actually grows to the point where the birds of the air can find rest on the branches of the kingdom of God? So here's the point of all this is that I think as we're living in this world, I think one of the things this parable teaches is, is that our lives and our participation in the Jesus movement, our lives should be attractive so, so that people are attracted to the kingdom of God and can find rest in, in the branches of it and, and, and can find shade underneath of it. So, and the primary way this happens is through kingdom citizens, through you and through me. So I think this is great advice as we live in this world, that our faith in Jesus... The kingdom that we are a part of, it should be attractive. It should be attractive. Anger is not attractive to anyone. Anger is not attractive to anyone. So Christians that go into this community and they are uh, weeds and wheat are living side by side and they are so angry and they pronounce so much judgment. I just don't see that in this parable. That we should understand that there is going to be a judge. Of course there's going to be a judge. That judge is Jesus. And hopefully the lives that we live, hopefully there's like an attractive quality to our lives so that people are intrigued and want to follow Jesus. Um, so in a world where marriage can be tough and hard, hopefully the kingdom marriages in this room are attractive. They are intriguing so that the birds of the air can find rest, not in us, but in Jesus. In a world where so many people face anxiety and worry, may the kingdom people in this room, may our peace be attractive so that they can find rest, not in us, but in Jesus. In a world where there is so much division and hatred, may, may the kingdom of peace be a kingdom of attractiveness. May the peace that we have be attractive so that they can find rest, not in us, but in Jesus. So when you're thinking about weeds and wheat next to each other, does this clear it up? Have I answered my own question, <laughs> right? Is this how you do it? Is it living an attractive life so that they are intrigued in and want to follow Jesus? Is it just an attraction thing? Well, Jesus tells another parable. He told them another parable. See, it even starts out that way, right? In the, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked itself all through the dough. I love bread. <laughs> I do. I do. I love bread. I love donuts. I love sweet rolls. I love bread and butter. I, I, I love bread. My, my family used to bake bread on Christmas Eve, and we'd take it, uh, we, we'd take it to church that evening, Christmas Eve evening, and we, we've, we'd hand it out. And a couple people have asked me through the years, oh, did you have a bread maker? Yeah. <laughs> this is the bread maker right here. These are the money makers right here, right? We didn't have a bread maker. We had our hands, right? 
And so one of the things you learn as you uh, are baking bread is that you have to work the yeast through the whole batch of dough so it all rises and it all becomes yummy and you can put it in a toaster with butter and strawberry jelly. And I digress. But this is part of the imagery of the kingdom of God as we're living kind of uh, wheat and weeds side by side, followers of Jesus with people that are not yet following Jesus. This is the imagery of the kingdom that the kingdom is like yeast that needs, its fi- that needs to find its way all over the world and all over our community. And again, this happens primarily through kingdom citizens like you and through me. You see this in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, uh, the gospel kind of, the good news, the Jesus movement kind of started out uh, just in Jerusalem and they decided to persecute it to try to end it. And when they persecuted it, Christ's followers were sent all over the world. And they thought maybe that would end it. The problem was, is that these Christ followers took the values of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, as they scattered and there was no stopping it. It was like yeast working its way through dough. And so the values of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the words of Jesus, they are in a way unstoppable because of kingdom citizens like you and for me. So these parables are similar, but they're different. The mustard seed is planted and it becomes a tree and it's supposed to be attractional. It's supposed to be attractive so that people see our lives, that they are so different, that they're kind of attracted to this Jesus thing. This parable's a little bit different. The yeast metaphor describes a more missional approach, right? Where the yeast is working its way through the whole loaf of, of bread. And it's this idea of, I believe God has worked us, all of us, God has worked us to the place where he wants us to be, that he's working us through the whole batch of dough. So I am looking for ways to be, to have the gospel present wherever God has me. So God has me in Decatur, Illinois. I am working for the kingdom. I am working for Jesus in Decatur, Illinois. God moves you to California. I am working for Jesus. I am working. I believe God is working the yeast through the whole batch of dough. He has me exactly where he wants me to be. And we have a missions team at this church who oversee local and global partners. Our church just recently took a trip to Oklahoma to visit one of those partners, Cooks and Hills. I love missions. But I hope you understand you are a missionary too. That if a missionary is someone who is like yeast and has been worked through the whole batch of dough, and they are someone who carries Jesus to a specific area or field, you are one too. You are not just a Caterpillar employee. You're not. You are a missionary that is like yeast working its way through dough. So you carry the kingdom. You carry Jesus with you all throughout that plant. You are not just a school teacher. You are not. You are not just a school teacher. You are a missionary in that school, and you are carrying the, the, the values and the ways of Jesus. You are like yeast working its way through dough. You are not just a parent. You are not just a family member. God has you there for a reason. You are like yeast working its way through dough, that God has placed you where he wants you to be. God has gifted you the way he wants you to be. God has you in a strategic place to be a kingdom worker, to be like yeast working its way through the dough. Have I answered the question yet about what does it look like for wheat and weeds to be kind of side by side? What does it look like for Christians to go to work and interact with people that maybe don't share their their same values or beliefs or they don't even really believe what you believe about Jesus, family reunions, all of the stuff we're going to do this summer? What does it look like? How are we to live and how are we to behave? There's certainly an attractional quality. I hope you're living an attractive life with the people around you. And it's certainly intentional as well. 
It's not just attractional, it's intentional. I, I am looking for ways, I understand God has me here for a reason, so I am looking for ways to share. I believe that he has me here for a reason, but I don't think we've quite, quite answered it yet because when I was preparing for this, I wanna take you to Colossians, and since it's my sermon, I'm going to do that, right? So we're gonna leave the parables just for a minute, and I wanna take you to the Apostle Paul, and I wanna show you uh, in uh, less, uh, uh, less of a parable type of statement, I wanna show you in a more direct way what Paul's, how Paul says we should do this. So the Apostle, the Apostle Paul uh, started out Colossians the way he starts out a ton of his books, uh, and that is with a declaration of the gospel of the good news, an invitation to be a part of the Jesus movement. Here's what Paul says at the beginning of Colossians. And I'm going to work our way to the text I want to show you. This isn't, we're not fully there yet. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And this is typically how Paul starts a book of one of his letters. It just is. Not this exact language. He uses different language depending on what letter he is writing. But this is typically what Paul does. This is what Jesus has done. This is who Jesus, has, this is, who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is like. You are invited to follow him. And Paul always wants to start out with a declaration of the good news, that you can have your sins forgiven. No matter what you've done, you can have your sins forgiven, and you can know God in this life and in the next. Paul always starts out this way, and then he begins to kind of weave through, I would call it good news uh, implications, that if you decide to follow Jesus, if you decide you love Jesus, these are some of the implications of following Jesus. This is where Jesus is going to lead us. So in chapter three, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So he says, Jesus is leading us to purity. He's leading us to holiness. He has a plan for sex. We have to follow him and trust him that his plan is better. And then he'll say, whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks uh, to God the Father through him. That because we are wearing the name of Jesus, because we've decided to follow him, because we live in his kingdom, it changes the way we do things. That the way we do things in his name. So, like, I don't want the way I do things to be a hindrance to people coming to faith. So I want to make sure I do things with excellence. I want to make sure I do things in a Christian, God-honoring, Jesus-honoring way. I don't want my, the way I do things to tarnish or hurt the name of Jesus at all. So we work hard. I'm not going to hit on this again because I hit on it last week. We tip well. We are generous. We treat people with respect. We understand that the way that we do things we, we do them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't want the way I do things to be a hindrance to the gospel. Paul goes on to say, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So even following Jesus 
even the, the kingdom marriages, it, it affects the way we do relationships with each other, relationships with our kids. We walk in love and grace. We serve our family because of how Jesus has been to us. As we are overwhelmed by grace, that grace finds its way into our family. This is the tone of Colossians. And every other book that Paul wrote, by the way, but this is the good news. I'm inviting you to follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, this is what life is going to look like. This is the kingdom. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of joy. This is what the kingdom looks like. And then he gets to chapter four, and he says, in light of everything that he said, in light of your decision uh, to follow Jesus and to be in the kingdom, he gets to our topic today, chapter four, verse five. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now this is what Jesus was teaching in these parables. But I wanted to kind of lay out, Paul was uh, 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 very to the point, very plain uh, spoken in, in this particular text. So I want to show you what he says about kind of um, wheat and weeds living side by side, what he says about how you're to be yeast, uh, what, what he says about how you're to be like a mustard seed, uh, how the kingdom of God is like all that, how we participate in that. Here's what he says. Be wise first, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I actually like the King James translation of this text. The King J James translates this, walk toward them, uh, walk in wisdom toward them. Walk in wisdom toward them. So this is, uh, not, th this is assuming that we are engaging with our culture. This is not assuming that we are separated and, and that we are living in a Christian bubble and that we have taken our wheat and we have gone home, all right? Th this is assuming that we are engaged and active with our culture, that we are engaging with our neighbors, that we are engaging with our cubicle mates, that we are not in a bubble, that we are actually pursuing relationships. I like uh, the, the more aggressive nature of King James, that we are walking in wisdom toward them. We're not walking away from them, we are walking toward them in wisdom. And hopefully as we walk toward them, as Paul has already established in Colossians, hopefully we are living these different lives. Hopefully we are living different values. Hopefully we are, we are living out the kingdom principles of peace and love and service and sacrifice. But we are, so hopefully we're living these different lives, but we are living in the culture. We are engaged with our culture. We are living side by side and this, is why Paul says it this way, this is going to require wisdom. One of the number one things people ask me to pray, pray for is situations just like this. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm worried I'm gonna say something really stupid. Right? I'm worried I'm gonna like, turn them off to the gospel. I'm not sure if I should ever say anything at all. What exactly do I do? And Paul would say first, um, pray for wisdom that wisdom is from God, wisdom comes from God, so pray for wisdom about how you should handle these situations, work situations, family situations. I, I, get, I, get, I get how awkward uh, this is. I am a pastor and sometimes have a hard time 
uh, even talking to my own family about, about these things. I remember uh, I was home uh, visiting my dad, and uh, my dad's in a VA home in the Upper Peninsula, and just through a whole series of events, my dad has been incredibly like blessed. God has really taken care of my dad. And uh, I didn't know how he was receiving that or how he was thinking about that. And I remember we were uh, sitting together, and my dad said, um, uh, who's kind of become a little bit disconnected from his faith, he said, I don't know why, but it seems to me that God just keeps blessing me again and again and again. So he viewed it from God. I was like a deer caught in the stinking headlights. Like, I'm a pastor. I didn't know what to say, right? And, and so you just ask God for wisdom. Help me manage this and, and help me. Uh, the, the key to this part of the text is that we are walking toward them in wisdom. We are living wise lives. We are living different lives. We are living kingdom lives. And then look at what Paul says next. Now here, Make the most of every opportunity. So Paul is assuming that if you and I live different lives, if we live lives of peace, if we live lives of joy, if we live lives uh, of, of having good marriages, if we live lives of sacrifice, Paul is assuming we are going to get some opportunities to speak. And they all, all Paul says is, hey, li live your life, live your kingdom life, be, be off for Jesus, let, you know, be different than, than your neighbors. This is from the Old Testament right on through to the New. Be different, and you are going to have opportunity. And then when you have an opportunity, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Uh, make the most of it. Well, how do I do that? Paul says it, right? Aren't you so grateful? All right, Paul says, let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And so when you get an opportunity at work, or with your family, or, or whatever. Paul would say this, make sure you highlight and focus on grace. Now this can be challenging, I think, because when, when you do get an opportunity, they are probably asking your opinion on something because they see something different in you, all right? So at work, they might say, man, your marriage is different. Your approach to life is different. Your family is different. Your work ethic is different. Your stress level is different. How did you do that? Pause. Here's what you know and here's what I know, all right? When they say, how did you do that? How do you have such a good marriage? How do you have such a good work ethic? How do you do that? Here's what you and I know. If we can just pause for a minute. You know you didn't do that, right? You know that, right? right? You know that, right? You didn't do that. Jesus did that in you and for you. You don't have a good marriage because you're good. You have a good marriage because he's good, right? You don't have a good work ethic because you're good. You have a good work ethic because he's good, that God and his grace has done this in you, all right? And so they're gonna come, they're gonna see something in you first. They're probably not gonna come to you and say, hey, could you explain the gospel to me in three to five points? And you're gonna say, I just heard a sermon on this, right? Let me, let me get, they're not gonna do that, right? What, what they're gonna say to you as you're living a different life, they're gonna say, you're different. Your marriage is different, your work life is different, you have more joy, you're different. How did you do that? And what Paul means when he says, let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt, is what Paul means by that is we have to figure out a way to say to them, I didn't do that. Jesus has done that in me, and he can do it in you too. And, and so, you know, when, when somebody comes to you and says, how did you do that? You don't want to kind of make yourself the star. You want to make Jesus the star because he is the star, 
right? We, we, we don't live different lives because we're, we're so awesome. We live different lives because he is so awesome. So you just have to think through this. I'm not going to give you the answer to this because I don't have it for you. But you have to kind of think through this of how am I going to communicate that? When somebody says, your life is so different, how am I going to communicate? Well, it all, you, you, there's a lot of ways you can do it. It all started when I started going to church or uh, you know, when I met Jesus. I, to, to find a way to work Jesus in so that your conversation is full of grace and seasoned with salt. We wanna, we wanna highlight him and his grace. Listen, blasting away at the depraved culture in your office is not going to win a single person. It's not. It's just gonna continue to separate the, the wheat and the weeds. That's all it's gonna do. Blasting away at the immorality of your coworkers, blasting away at the unholiness that you see every day, uh, it, it is the wrong approach. I really believe this, this is really my heart. This is really the wrong approach. The right approach is we live, we live as kingdom citizens. We, are in, we live in a kingdom of grace. We live in a kingdom of peace. We live in a kingdom of joy. And so we live as kingdom citizens. We live holy, different, uh, incredible lives. We, we, we do that and then we just, we wait for opportunities. We wait for opportunities and when the opportunity comes and they will come, I'm telling you, you live a life of joy and opportunities coming. You live life of having a healthy marriage, opportunity's coming. You live life with a good work ethic as though you're working for the Lord and not for men, opportunity is coming. I promise you it's coming. And we wait for opportunities and then we highlight Jesus and his grace. It's like, hey man, don't confuse what you're seeing in me for me being awesome. I'm not, I just met Jesus and he made difference. However we can say that, in your own way and in your own words, we point people to, hey, don't, don't think I'm awesome. He's awesome. Jesus is awesome. His grace is awesome. And it's made a difference in me. And you don't have to become a preacher, right? Um, you don't have to use a bunch of words. You can just say, it all started when I met Jesus. Done. But find a way to point people to Jesus because grace changes everything. It does. And you have been invited in, and if you're a Christian, you're living in a kingdom that is so different than the kingdom of this world. It is. It, the, the kingdom of Christ is so different. So we should be so different. And when we get an opportunity, we show people Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that grace right now. We're going to receive communion together. We do this at our church uh, every single week because we want to be reminded of this. We want to be reminded that he is great. He is awesome. We are following after him. And so you're gonna see two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is our opportunity to celebrate grace. It's, it's an opportunity to celebrate grace and to think about the kingdom that we get to live in. How different it is than the kingdom of this world and, and how different we should be as a result of it. Um, they'll pass out uh, communion, the, the two cups, and you can just hold on to those for a few minutes. I'll come back up after we're served, and uh, we like to receive them together as a church family. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your kingdom. It is different. It is. And we should be different. Help us to be. 
And I don't know if anybody in this room has felt this tension of living as a follower of yours in a world that is searching for something and not knowing what to do and not knowing what to say and should I be angry, should I not be angry, what, what, what is the right approach? I pray that this text has been helpful to us, that your parables have been helpful to us to see that, man, we're, we wanna be like yeast, the yeast of the kingdom, that you have worked through the whole thing of dough. So we're where we are, we're right where you want us to be. Help us to look for ways to share and help us to remember that your kingdom seed, it start, your kingdom started out like a mustard seed and it has grown into this huge tree. May our lives be attractive and may others be curious by the way that we live because we live for you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his body and blood that makes all the difference in the world. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.